everyone, and welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, a podcast where our goal is to read the entire Bible in a year, seeking to understand God's plan of redemption while discovering daily and practically your part in it. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today we are looking at Hebrews 7 to 10, and I'm going to be honest with you. Um, as I was reading over these passages, uh, they, they seem a little difficult to understand. So I think to set the scene here, it's important to remember that Hebrews is written to Jewish believers. Chapter 7 to 10 is mostly going to lift out the, the priestly system, the sacrificial system, the temple system, and show how Jesus is way more valuable um, and way more effective uh, than any other system that has ever been. So just from the top, just to make sure I cover it, in chapter 7, um, the author is going to talk about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is like this kind of mystical figure that shows up in Genesis 14. We don't know anything about him. Uh, we don't know where we came from other than he is apparently the king of Salem, uh, which would become Jerusalem. And Abraham tithed to him from the spoils of his war that he was fighting. And the reason this is important is because when Abraham tithes to Melchizedek, he is putting himself under Melchizedek. He's putting himself under the authority of Melchizedek. And this is really important to Jewish believers because Jews at this time would have traced their lineage back to Abraham. And Abraham is essentially like the superhero of their faith. So the fact that Abraham places himself under Melchizedek would get all of their attention uh, and bring into focus the, the, the power or the importance of Melchizedek. And it quickly became, uh, in Jewish tradition, understood that Melchizedek was foreshadowing the coming Messiah. So that's why Jesus ends up being a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The next thing the author is going to do is say, Jesus died, but Jesus rose again, so Jesus will never die again. And the way that high priests worked is that high priests were the authority in the land until they died. And when they died, there was a new high priest put in place. There was this change in political power. Uh, there was actually a release of people that were living in uh, cities of refuge. So it was a big deal when the high priest changes. But because Jesus will never die again, uh, spoiler alert, that remains true, um, we will never need a new high priest again. Jesus will be our high priest. Then he's going to talk about the temple. So if you look at chapter 9, chapter 9 is kind of using this 10th language um, where they're saying that the high priest, and this is true, the high priest or the priests, they would go into the first court of the temple or the tent. Uh, it changed with history. They would go into that first section and they would offer sacrifices. And then once a year, the high priest would go into the second section, the Holy of Holies, and he would offer sacrifices. But those sacrifices were not effective because they would they would have to be um, offered again and again and again. Well, because Jesus is now in the actual heavenly temple, and the author will make the case that the earthly temple was just like a, a way for us to understand the heavenly temple, now that Jesus is our eternal high priest, and he is in fact present in the heavenly temple, uh, he can offer sacrifices for us. What sacrifice did he offer? His own 
blood. And because his own blood has permitted him into the presence of God, he does not need to re-enter the presence of God once a year. He just stays there. He's saying that when Jesus shed his own blood, Jesus is a better sacrifice, and Jesus is an eternal sacrifice, and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father pleading our case for the forgiveness of our sins, and he will not need to do that again. Jesus' life is not an ineffective sacrifice. Uh, And if you go on to verse, um, let's look at verse 21. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So again, all these earthly systems, um, all these Jewish traditions that they would have been very familiar with, they were just um, like a like an image that we could grasp that would represent to us the reality of heaven. And Jesus is now present in the reality of heaven, doing the things that the priests would have done. This is still happening today. Jesus is still interceding for us today because his sacrifice is more effective. That's also why we don't practice um, all these other animal sacrifices anymore, because Jesus has taken that place. Jesus was always intended to take that place. In fact, if this if this gets your mind uh, spinning, um, everybody who had faith in God had faith that he would provide. So even those people in the Old Testament who were offering sacrifices, the, the, the ones who were truly honoring God were just um, acting in obedience to God, believing that he would provide the ultimate sacrifice that he had promised. So they were believing forward that Jesus would come. They were having faith forward in Jesus. We now have faith backward in Jesus, knowing that Jesus has come. So when Jesus gave his life for the forgiveness of sins, he gave his life for the forgiveness of sins of all believers of all times. So they believed forward. We believe backward. Jesus gave his life and has accomplished forgiveness of sins for those who believe. So now I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 10. Chapter 10, the author is assuming that you understood his case, that Jesus is better, more effective, more powerful, has more authority uh, than the entire old sacrificial system, the entire old worship system. And now we have access to God through this new system. And then he's going to lay out what we should do because of that. So chapter 10 Verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, remember, he just established that idea in chapter 9 earlier, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus himself, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This meeting together thing is super important. Remember, this letter is written to Jewish believers to tell them that Jesus is more 
powerful, more important. He is this sacrifice that lasts forever. He's helping Jewish believers make sense of who Jesus is. Um, But he's also trying to encourage them to stick to the faith, to persevere in the faith. And right here in Hebrews 10, you've probably heard this verse before, he's telling them that meeting together and encouraging each other is going to be a necessary part of persevering. Now, Today, uh, we use this to talk about the importance of gathering together at church. And if you do not gather together with a church, you need to do that. It is important to be held accountable by other believers. It is important to be encouraged by other believers. Just walking into a church building will not do that, okay? Uh, And definitely just watching a service online, 100% will not do that. We are actually supposed to be doing life together with other believers, and I encourage you to do that. There is an interesting line going around the internet right now, um, that you don't need to gather together in a church. You can just get together with your friends. Uh, that is also not true. We need to get together, uh, worshiping Christ together, celebrating the sacraments of the church, celebrating the ordinances of the, of the church, um, coming together to worship God under the instruction of his word. There is a, a format for this. Uh, I'm not speaking to like exactly what your church should look like, but you just hanging out with your friends is not church. Um, If you remember, which who doesn't remember, coming through COVID, pretty much all the churches closed. And actually, the churches that did not close have a lot of my attention nowadays because I'm encouraged by their faithfulness um, pressing through what was a very difficult time. And I was a pastor during that time, um, so I remember all the conversations around it. But some really hurtful things came out of the fact that all those churches were closed. And most likely, uh, if you are committed to a body of believers, when you look around your church, uh, you'll notice that a lot of people fell off in that period of time and they have not come back. Uh, Maybe they went to a different church down the street, but a lot of them just don't go to church at all. Um, And that's because we fell into this deception that we should neglect meeting together And neglecting meeting together actually led a lot of people to no longer be encouraged in the faith. It's not a good thing. Now, if you look at the next passage, this is another one of those really complicated warning passages. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Again, This is one of those really difficult passages in Hebrews that is hard to understand and hard to interpret, but it seems like it is teaching uh, that it is possible to fall away from the faith, and when you fall away from the faith, you will not be forgiven. Regardless of exactly what these passages mean, uh, the author does want us to understand the weight of following Jesus and does want us to understand that it is possible Uh, to appear like you are following Jesus, but in reality, you are 100% not. And I know that like, I have lived that myself. I have been in a period of my life when I was much younger uh, where I definitely was not following Jesus, but on the outside, I looked like it. So if you are in a situation like that, uh, you're not doing anybody any favors uh, because you don't actually get any extra credit for pretending to follow Jesus. Um, Only authentic followers of Jesus receive grace and forgiveness uh, and ultimate reward. And this passage says uh, that if you fall away, you actually receive condemnation. So I don't say that to freak you out, but I do think our culture has moved away from these kind of passages, and I don't want us to shy away from them. 
uh, I want us to be encouraged in them. And actually, the author of Hebrews was using these warnings to encourage the audience to continue to press on closer to Jesus. So as far as the your part today, man, Hebrews is really, really rich. Go back and read it for yourself. Uh, I do want you to be encouraged, but I do also want you to understand the weight of following Jesus. So I hope you are persevering in your faith. Um, I hope you are surrounded by a group of people who are passionate about following Jesus. If you're not, man, please start to look for one. You have to have that. It is so important. And uh, that's probably the most pointed your part for today. If you are not involved in a church, please get involved in one. Uh, It's difficult to find a good church. Um, You don't find a good church based on how good the coffee is or how good the light show is. Uh, You find a good church by how well they teach the Bible and how obedient they are, uh, particularly their leaders, um, to what the Bible teaches. So I hope you're encouraged. Please find a church. Uh, Please stay committed to your church. We'll be back again tomorrow. We'll be peeling apart Hebrews 11 to 13. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening to God's Plan Your Part. Don't forget, it is always more important that you listen to God's words rather than our words. So please stick around to hear the reading for the day uh, or go and find it in the Bible and read it yourself. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating and write a review on whatever platform you are using to listen to us. Now that we have all that out of the way, here is the reading for today. Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and to Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king in righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham, and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe Moses said nothing about priests." This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced 
through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from a continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Chapter 8 Now the point in what we are saying is this, We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Chapter 9 now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations have thus been made. The priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes. 
and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic at the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then, though the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with blood both the tent and the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Chapter 10 For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure." Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. 
When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people." It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." Thanks so much for listening to God's Plan, Your Part. If anything stuck out to you, if you have any questions, or if you'd like to receive a Bible, you can email us at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting us through the link in our description. We love that you're on this journey with us, and we hope you have a great day. See you tomorrow.